Thank you for listening to BLC's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you, Sean. I, uh, I mentioned it in a previous service, but I, I just I keep having this sense that Sean and his uh, wife and their spiritual sons and daughters are really becoming a prototype of what God's releasing into the earth to really bring transformation because they, they just will go anywhere and call out the destiny of people. It's just so fun, so fun. I, I, I love you so much. Glad that we get to be friends. I have something very important to read. And because it's the last meeting, I mean, it's the last of the last meeting, I'm going to read two things. It's, it's a bonus. It's a bonus. And if the message goes bad, I'll read five things, maybe 10 things. This is uh, for the men in the room. It's called the hormone guide. There's three categories. There's dangerous, there's safer, and there's safest. Dangerous, what's for dinner? Safer, can I help you with dinner? Safest, where would you like to go for dinner? Dangerous, what are you so worked up about? Safer, could we be overreacting? Safest, here's my paycheck. Dangerous, should you be eating that? Spirit of stupid got on that guy. Safer, you know there's a lot of apples left. Safest, can I get you a piece of chocolate to go with that? Here's the last one. Dangerous. What did you do all day? <laughs> I love finding the sensitive parts of every crowd. You, you, your groans tell me where the pain is. <laughs> what did you do all day? Safer. I hope you didn't overdo it today. Safest. I've always loved you in that robe. <laughs> okay. A man and his wife and his mother-in-law went on vacation to the Holy Land. While they were there, the mother-in-law passed away. The undertaker told them, you can have her shipped home for $5,000 or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for $150. The man thought about it. He told him he'd just soon have her shipped home. The undertaker asked, why? Why would you spend $5,000 to ship your mother-in-law home when it would be wonderful to have her buried here and spend only $150? The man replied, a man died here 2,000 years ago. He was buried here. Three days later, he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. (laughs) 
a good point. Yeah, that was a good point. Um, we have some of these left, I believe, yes. Um, it's called Supernatural Transformation. And this is, only, right now, it is only released here in South Africa. It's not in Reading. There's going to be one copy because I'm taking one home. But um, uh, it's going to be in the UK, but it's here right now, the only place. And it's actually uh, th three of my books into one. And it's uh, When Heaven Invades Earth, Supernatural Power for Transform Mind, and Strengthen Yourself in the Lord. So if you don't have those, there's a way to get all of them. So... I'm not going to say I felt the fear of God, but I felt fear. <laughs> people, people are so funny. People say that you can't have the fear of God an intimate relationship with God at the same time. You can't have fear and an intimate relationship. The Bible says to fear God. They say you can't have both at the same time. Whoever made that up is obviously not married. <laughs> My wife and I are very close and she scares me to death. I'll leave it right there. All right. <clears throat> There's a couple things uh, that are really important to me. They fit into my, my gift mix well. I, I look at leaders around the world and I admire their gifts, their abilities to lead. And quite honest, I get easy, it would be easy to get jealous because they are so gifted. I do two things fairly well. One is monitor, contribute to, regulate atmosphere. Atmosphere is a really big deal to me. Um, peace is, is one of the highest not only values but ongoing experiences in my life and uh, protecting peace is is everything to me um, if I find myself in a moment without peace I have to find out where I left it because he gave it to me so I have, to, I have to back up oh it was that phone call this morning God forgive me I embraced fear and laid down peace to have this so I make the exchange and I pick it back up. So peace, atmosphere is a huge, huge thing to me. The other is, is principle. Um, that where we, where we live by the things that God values. That whether I feel inspiration in the moment or not, I can always return to the values of the king and his kingdom. Some of the scariest moments in all of history have been, and I'll give you an example of Hezekiah, with the Lord, he, he was such a profound reformer. He had such 
He was born into this occultic environment, raised up as king over a nation that had been sacrificing to idols and doing all kinds of insane things. And this king had a reformer's heart and he brought an entire nation back to God. And his exploits are extraordinary. I personally think he's one of the greatest reformers to ever live. I put him easily in there with Martin Luther and and, uh, Calvin and all these different reformers that God has used throughout history. He's one of the top reformers. But what happened is there was a moment in his life where it says, and the Lord lifted his presence from him to see what he would do. Now we know that the Lord will never leave or forsake us. So we know he's with us by covenantal promise. He'll never leave me. But would it make sense to you to say, he has the ability to shut down my awareness of presence or the felt presence of God in my life. He's still there, but the felt presence of God, that, that ability to connect with him on a more intimate or emotional level has been lifted for a moment, for a day, for a season. That's what happened to Hezekiah. And what we found out was the man who could function profoundly when the Spirit of God was upon him floundered and failed when the presence lifted. In other words, there were no principles intact to keep him. Does this make sense? In the anointing, you learn things about the nature of God, about the, the, the way that we're to do life. You learn things. We see things about his heart, about his nature, about our call, about our uniqueness. We discover these principles so that when we come in those moments where we don't have that same sense of inspiration that we felt six months ago or last week, we are now left with what did we learn in times of breakthrough? What did we learn of his nature? What did we learn of our own call, our own gifting, our own set of priorities? What did we learn in those seasons? Because that's what you have to return to in those moments when presence is lifted. Whenever whenever the Lord is silent, it's not punishment. He doesn't give a silent treatment like we do to each other sometimes. He he doesn't do that just, well, it's fine. You're on your own. He doesn't give a silent treatment. When he, when he is silent, it's usually because he has already spoken and we have to rediscover what he's already said. Because we didn't do what Mary did. Mary, it says, and she would ponder these things in her heart. She had received this word about Jesus throughout those beginning months and years that if she would bring those words up and she would review them over and over again. When you do that, you stay mindful of the things that you're to give your life to. And because of Hezekiah in this situation, he didn't do that. And he had an absolute horrible, horrific ending. I feel like, I feel like the Lord if I could just function out of what's important to me and say, I think it's supposed to be important to you too. And uh, that the Lord would actually give you uh, an ability to perceive environment. Uh, Every one of us either contribute to a kingdom culture or we undermine kingdom culture. There isn't any middle ground. 
the scriptures are, are so bold and so honest. You know, in Romans 8, he says, the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. It is not able to obey God. So the way you set yourself up for failure is just dwell on inferior things. The way you set yourself up for failure, to come into a situation where, where there's not the courage, the strength, the faith, whatever it might be, to, to walk in obedience. The way you do that is you just, you dwell, continuous, feed your soul on inferior things. And so I believe the Lord is, um, is releasing a grace over this church, this ministry, but also uh, all of you that have come from various cities. I can feel it around South Africa that the Lord is, is, is releasing a mandate. I can't say I see it clearly, but I know what I, I, know what I feel. I know what burns in my heart <clears throat> for you. And I believe that the Lord is, is going to enable you the only language I have for this at, at this point, at this stage in my, in my journey, is the Lord's going to give you the grace to create an atmosphere over cities that has the same effect as a greenhouse does in growing plants. Every, most every church in South Africa wants the same thing. We want our families healthy. We want our business people to prosper. We want our children to grow up with good self-esteem. We want them to be contributors to society. I mean, if we were to sit down and talk with the true spiritual leaders in this nation, I'm sure that most everybody in that group would agree to these values. The problem is, is we sometimes try to grow these things in hostile environments. So let me use the greenhouse to illustrate. Many years ago, early 90s, I was in, uh, no, it was actually in the late 80s, I was in uh, the Netherlands, and I was speaking at a conference there, and, and it's my first time uh, overseas in ministry. And our host wanted to take us and show us some of the sites and, and you know, the windmills and dikes and all the stuff, you know, but it was just horrible weather. It was so cold and so damp and so windy. It just kind of cut through, you know. And, uh, but he still wanted to see something. So he, he took us to these greenhouses. And these greenhouses were just the largest greenhouses I've ever seen in my life. They just seemed like they were acres large, you know. And so we'd go inside, and it wasn't warm in there, but it was pleasant. It was pleasant enough that when we walked into these greenhouses, there's row after row after row, section after section of tulips. They grow, I think it's 85% of the tulips in the world is grown there. And so we, it was pleasant enough that there was a bride in her beautiful gown uh, posing by a uh, pond where they had tulips around it and there's a photographer there taking pictures. It was, it was that pleasant, although it was horrible outside. All these flowers that were growing inside of this greenhouse, they, they wouldn't last a day outside of the greenhouse. But when you can influence the atmosphere, you find yourself growing things you always wanted to grow. I, I, let me rephrase that. 
All the churches in the area want healthy families, children with good self-esteem, healthy, all the stuff, successful businesses, and we work hard to grow those without ever contributing to the environment they're supposed to grow in. When we become a presence-based culture, and that is what heaven is, we're supposed to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven, in its central, most supreme value, is everything in heaven is connected to the actual glory of God, to the manifested presence of God. Everything, there's nothing in heaven separate from his person. I don't understand this, but in some way, he is the person of heaven. Abiding in Christ, abiding in Christ is a foretaste of eternity, of heaven. And so in heaven, everything continuously draws from the Father of life from the word that sustains everything that exists. There's this continual nourishment from the one who spoke and gives life and defines purpose and reason for being. And so that value system that exists there isn't always the value system that we function by. And the Lord, I believe, is, is wanting us to continue to you know, do the classes for how to have a healthy family, to, you know, pray for the sick and do all the stuff that we do, you know. But at the same time, learn how to influence and in some ways create an environment where we actually see things grow by accident, what we used to try to grow on purpose and we're never successful at. I had a, a very strange experience so many years ago now. I, uh, I pastored in a small community named Weaverville in the mountains of Northern California. And um, I was in my office one day, and I was just a small office, so but I, I would like to walk when I pray. So I'm walking, praying. And there was a plant here on the on the coffee table in my, in my uh, office, a little plant I'd had for several years. And I glanced at it and, and the Lord spoke to me so clearly. I don't always hear this well, so uh, don't misunderstand my capabilities here. I looked at the plant and the Lord said, look at the plant, that's you, that's your life. And it, it just, it just kind of stunned me. And I looked at the plant, it was just this nice, straight, plant with these broad leaves coming off the top. And I thought, all right. <laughs> I mean, I didn't get anything else. That's, that's me. That's all I know is that's me in a pot. All right. And uh, within a few days, all the leaves died and fell off. <laughs> I'm serious. I've had the plant for years. It's never done that. So now what I have is me in a pot with no leaves. It's a stick. I can't throw it away because it's me. I, I, I can't. I mean, this is, you know, this is a strange journey. Sorry, you didn't sign up for this today, but you're getting it anyway. I, I, I looked at this thing and just one by one, they fell off and it's just this stick that sticks up out of this soil that I've had for years. I only watered my plants with coffee. 
Don't look at me that way. My plants were always excited. Just whatever, if I had coffee left in the pot, I, in my cup when it got cold, I just put it in there. If I had no coffee left over that day, it just didn't get watered. It's just the way it worked. So I, I just kept watering my, the stick. And eventually that stick just died. And actually this, this plant was illustrating that it was a season of being, being stripped. And, and it, it, it was very meaningful to me that the Lord was trying to illustrate something that I could understand. He was doing it in the natural in a way that I could, I could perceive the season I was in. And, um, and it just, they just fell off and died. There's the stick, it died. And then right next to it, another stem grew. But this one wasn't straight like all the other plants in this species. This one bent over the edge. It looked like a completely different plant except it had the same leaves. Now you have to understand, I'm starting to take this personal. (laughs) That he's basically saying, you're not gonna look like the rest, just chill, you know? So I've got this, honestly, this plant, if you see them in a store, they're always straight. They've got these nice, beautiful leaves. Not this one. This one grew up and over the edge, and it's got these, <laughs> these leaves, and it just looks weird. You know, you're embarrassed when you have people come into your office and they look at your plant. I don't bother explaining, that's me, leave them alone. You know. <laughs> this went on for years and it was crazy, but the Lord actually used a plant to speak to me for 17 years. Whatever season I was in, it would actually be illustrated in that plant. Fast forward 17 years, I'm then moving from Weaverville to Reading, where we are now. The church I pastored in Weaverville, I was sent there by the eldership of the church in Reading. My dad once pastored there. And so they asked us to come back now to the mother church and take over there. So as I'm packing up, I decide uh, we're going to be leaving in a couple months. I decided to transplant this weird-looking plant that has since grown all kinds of stuff, not thinking that it's still me and I'm about to be transplanted to another city. I didn't think that far ahead. I was just, it looked like it's probably root-bound. It's been there for a long time, 17 years, long time for a house plant. And uh, so I got a bigger pot, pulled it out, it smelled like French roast coffee to the max. I mean, this, this thing reeked of coffee smell. And so I put it in a bigger pot and, you know, got the soil and everything and, uh, and, and kept watering it with, with coffee. Within a very short time, now remember, I've had this plant now the entire 17 years in Weaverville, plus probably two years before I moved. So it's a 19-year-old houseplant. I put it in this new pot. All of a sudden, it starts blooming, blossoming flowers. I've never seen flowers in 19 years on this plant. Flowers began to bloom in this plant. All, all it needed was an atmosphere shift that would bring out its potential. 
You have things in the soil of this nation. You have things in the soil of historic works of God, seeds that remain here from what God has done in the past. Promises that have come to you individually and corporately. And what they need is a shift in atmosphere. They need something else to happen where we start thinking more than how did the meeting go? What are we contributing to the value system of a nation? Are we hosting the Holy Spirit in such a way that he truly can do as he pleases? Or does he have to do what we think he should do? And we learn to accommodate that presence, that supreme value of heaven. Suddenly, we start learning how the culture of that world actually in a practical sense can affect the culture of how I do life, atmosphere. So I want to address four things. I've been in covenantal relationship with a number of our team for for many years. I have, oh goodness, I've got, I think, three or four of our team I've been with for over 40 years. Uh, we've, we've labored together, prayed together, you know, just done life together. In fact, with one of the families actually lived with us in our home for a season. So we've, we've done life together for a long time. And um, we've come into some things. I don't know how to describe this. We've come into realms in God that are so wonderful, but I don't know how we got here. Does that make sense? You know, people say, well, how did you, how did you maneuver through this? I don't know. I, I wasn't conscious when it was happening. All I know is I woke up one day and this is happening and I know I didn't earn it. I know I did what he said. Would it make sense to say we are not here because we had a brilliant strategy? Would that make sense to anybody? I, I, you know, people say, man, you must have really, no, no, but we didn't know what we were doing. I still don't really know what I'm doing. If that's of any comfort to you, I really don't. But I do know I'm in something that I had better treasure because it's priceless. And so I've spent a fair amount of time in the last 15 years with, with this assignment. I want to deconstruct this. I, I want to understand how did we get here? I, I know it wasn't, uh, we did obey. I did what he said. This is my approach. We, we'd have this mighty outpouring of God. People would leave, people would come. It was, just, it was just a crazy season. And I would have two things that were important to me. At the end of the day, I'd ask myself two questions. One, did God show up? Two, did I do what he said? If I could say yes to those two things, no matter what happened, it was a good day. So that was the value system entirely. The presence of God, obedience, that's the issue. So I don't know how we got here, but I think it's wisdom to deconstruct. You know, you take something apart to see how it's made. That's what I'm trying to do is to deconstruct, to see what did we do right that we didn't know we were doing right that got us here. Why? Because if I can understand it, I can teach it. If I can teach it, I can impart it, and others will automatically be drafted into the same journey themselves. 
if it remains a mystery and there's no understanding, then I have to enjoy it by myself. And that was never God's intent. It's always God's intent that when any of us get breakthrough, our breakthrough is supposed to become the breakthrough of those under our influence, all right? So I'm gonna give you four things. And then uh, the, um, the important part, I'm gonna give you four things that you will already be able to say amen to. You believe them already. They're already a part of uh, the theology of this house, of the church most everywhere in the world. So this won't be new at all. The, different, the new part for many of us will be that beliefs have to have, have to affect behavior or they're not really beliefs. I can say that better. There are points in our theology that we believe wholeheartedly. Let me put it this way. There is still a part of the body of Christ that doesn't believe in healing for today. If everyone who believed in healing for today would actually heal the sick, there would no longer be a part of the church that didn't believe in healing today. It's the fact that we hold to things that we can't demonstrate. Requiring behavioral shifts to accommodate what God is saying and doing, to be able to put on display what he is saying or doing for his glory, that is what validates the, the principles of, of God's kingdom. All right? A lot of talk. Let's just go through it. Four things. God is good. Number two, nothing is impossible for God. Number three, every problem, crisis, tragedy, every dilemma in life was settled at the cross. The cross paid for everything. And finally, number four, I, you are significant. Your culture is enough like mine that I can address, I can address you uh, with a certain confidence. Uh, our culture is a value concept. You could go to a business school, get a degree in business, and actually be taught by people who have never owned a business. We don't live conscious of it, but our cultures elevate people with knowledge and not experience. And yet that's not kingdom. In the scripture, it says in Ephesians 3, verse 19, that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I love that verse. That you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The original language can translate it this way, that you would know by experience what is beyond comprehension. Your heart can take you places your head can't fit. It's not that understanding is bad, it's just we generally, the greater things of the kingdom you learn in your heart before you understand it here. Your heart learns it then it becomes assimilated into your life till you can grasp it mentally. All right. So these four behaviors or these four truths, I look at them as cornerstones of thought. It would be like uh, the cornerstones of a building that holds everything in place. It defines the shape of the building. It defines the strength of the building. So these four cornerstones of thought. God is good. Nothing's impossible. Everything was settled at Calvary and every person is significant. 
Each of those beliefs that I think all of us would say amen to, each of those beliefs have to produce a behavior in me or it's just theory. If it doesn't affect how I think, how I live, then it's just a concept. But when it affects behavior, there is when the atmosphere is changed, where the plant becomes a flowering plant, where the tulips grow because the atmosphere is changed and it's not a hostile environment anymore. I envision churches having this kind of influence over entire cities where there's, there's an atmosphere of God in the entire city. We feel this at times in our own city. It's not far from perfect. We have many, many issues. But I have, a, I, have, I have had just people just literally just drive into the city limits. One guy was driving from Seattle to, to uh, San Diego, the whole west coast of the United States. He was demonized. He was a drug addict. He was driving to San Diego to get help from his relatives. And he hit the city limits of Reading. And the demons in him begin to manifest. He's by himself in the car. He pulls over to the side of the freeway, gets out of the car, starts running down the side of the freeway, crying out for help. Jesus met him by himself on the side of the freeway. He was delivered of demons and set free from addiction on the side of the freeway. I would like to say that happens to everybody, and it doesn't, but we're, but we're, we're contributing to a shift that will affect everybody under our influence, and that's our responsibility, all right? <clears throat> so, the behaviors that are connected to these, this is what I want to spend the next 10 minutes on. Number one, if I truly believe God is good, I owe him a life of dreaming big. Your faith will only explore where you understand him to be good. Faith only explores the reality of his goodness. We, much like servants, slaves, wait for God to give us commands. He's waiting to hear our dreams. He's the one who came to us and said, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. He's the one who said, in that day, you will ask the Father in my name, whatever you ask for will be done for you, that your joy may be full. He was the one who gave us the invitation through the revelation of his own kindness to come and to dream with him, to make a difference, a significant difference in the world. So if I really believe he's good, it has to be proven through my capacity and ongoing development to dream. Amen, Bill. Good point. All right. Number two. Nothing is impossible with God. We sing it in our songs. We make it in our confessions. But if I really believe nothing's impossible then I owe him a lifestyle of risk to see what he might be willing to do. It's the lifestyle of risk. It's where I step outside of what's convenient, outside of what's comfortable, outside of what gratifies me, but instead look for opportunities where he might show up and do what has been thought to be impossible. 
It's an amazing thing. Everything that God made is finite, everything. He alone is infinite, unlimited in every way. We are finite. He alone lives in that reality that says nothing is impossible. But he wanted those made in his image to enjoy that same position. And so he said, nothing is impossible for those who believe. The third thing is that everything was settled at Calvary. It's a very significant concept. Ephesians 2 says, in the ages to come, we will be discovering the richness of his grace. So in other words, the grace that brought you into the kingdom, brought you into a relationship with Jesus, that hardly even scratched the surface. It will actually take all of eternity to unfold the richness of his grace. We will be learning continuously with continual ongoing fresh revelations of what this grace is like. And that's only one subject out of a billion. It will be constant advancement in the things of God. One continuous journey of growth and development. He thought of everything. There's nothing, you know, you can't have a problem where he goes, oh, bummer. I wish I would have thought of that when I was going to the cross. You know, I would have taken care of that. We don't experience anything that was outside of his payment, the payment. You and I will be living 100 billion years from now in a reality in God that he purchased at Calvary. On the cross, he purchased it there. We will still be discovering what that looks like. Because that is true, before Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says Jesus was crucified for the foundations of the earth. Before there was a problem, he created a solution. Because he is the most trustworthy one in the universe who has never once failed, it is unreasonable for me to not trust him when things look bad. It's even more unreasonable for me to trust my opinions that have proven themselves to be faulty over and over and over again instead of trusting this one who is so perfectly faithful. So this issue of nothing's impossible with God, it has to be demonstrated that I trust him well when things look bad. I think it's important. You're in a moment of crisis to say it out loud. Don't just try to cultivate an attitude. Sometimes our words help to reinforce what he's working in us. And I will just say out loud, I trust you, Father. I trust you. I went through a, a real uh, health issue a few years ago. And uh, I, I came out of it with this, I kept waiting for this explosive word from the Lord, you know. And, and it, it just didn't come. Sorry. <clears throat> and uh, came through. Uh, God was good. Uh, helped me wonderfully. It's a wonderful story. But I came out of it with this conclusion. Bold faith stands on the shoulders of quiet trust. What he was trying to build in me was the trust that didn't need ongoing inspiration to keep it sustained. The last thing, and I'll read for you out of John 13 for this one. The last thing is that I am significant. 
that you are significant. This isn't an invitation to big egos and you know, I, we teach a lot at home <clears throat> in our school. Excuse me, I need to gag for a moment. <laughs> we teach, there I am. <laughs> Did I disappear too or was it just? <laughs> we teach a lot at home about the significance of an individual. Our children are raised in that environment. They... Uh, they, they really do believe that. We reinforce it constantly. But what happens I can tell when people don't really get it. They'll think of significance as a title. I'm an apostle of this universe. And when we're through with this one, I'll move to the next one. You know, it's, it's, I, 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 I get a little nervous around some of our, our people that we're raising up. And, and I, it's just the process of growing. You start thinking of yourself differently than he does. We can inflate it. That's not good. We can deflate it. That's not good. To think properly is important. And every one of us is truly, truly significant. And I can tell when people don't get it And I'll explain by, by reading this scripture. It's in John 13. <clears throat> Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. I'll just stop right there. Jesus, knowing. Now, this is a, a very strange verse because it is telling us what is on Jesus' mind. I don't remember another verse in the Bible that tells me what he was thinking. I'm sure it's there somewhere, but I've never seen it. This is telling us, Jesus is in this moment, he's with the guys, and this verse tells us what he's thinking about. What is he thinking about? He's thinking about the fact everything has now been given to him. Why is that significant? Because he laid down everything to become a man. And now he was re-inheriting everything as a man to include us in the inheritance as our elder brother. So he's thinking about the fact that everything in existence, this is verified through uh, John 16, where Jesus says, everything the Father has is mine, and what I have I give to you. So he, he unpacks that a bit in John 16. So here he is. What is he thinking about? He's thinking about the fact that everything that exists, every dominion, every dimension, every reality, it all belongs to him. Everything is his. And then it says, he was thinking about the fact, I came from the Father. This is John 13. It's just a matter of days. He's going to be returning to the Father after his death, resurrection, ascension, glorification, returning to the Father. So here he is thinking about these two things that are so mind-boggling, all of our brains would explode if we had just a small measure of that revelation. So here he's dwelling on this, and it says in the very next verse, the very next phrase, he rose from supper, he laid aside his garments, he took a towel, he girded himself, poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet. Here's the point. I can tell when people around me don't really know their significance because they're not ready to go low yet. See, because in the kingdom, your significance here 
means there's no position too low that will tarnish that significance. Favor in the kingdom is to enable us to empower and to serve people. All governmental expression, all government, I don't care if it's your family, mom and dad, CEO of a business, president of a nation. We have two basic functions in all government. Don't forget this. Number one is to rule in order to protect. Number two is to serve in order to empower. Those are the two responsibilities of all government. And so when God has gifted you with favor, it is not for self-promotion. It is to make your service effective, to transform and to change people's lives. And when people know of their significance, they know there is no role of serving that is too low. Why don't you stand? on a journey in Reading, our team, we're, we're on a journey. We know it. We know that, that we're farther along than we used to be, but we've got a million miles to go in this journey. But what we're experiencing along the way is so encouraging to us because we find in simple moments like the worship we had earlier that was so wonderful that miracles actually happened during that time. I'm sure it happens here too. But it's, it's that, it's presence. It's just when the king of glory comes into the room, certain things automatically happen. When we give ourselves to, we don't create atmosphere in that sense because we don't commandeer him. But he is such a lover of souls that when we turn our heart to him, he just comes. That presence just begins to affect everything. And to have that as a supreme value that I'm going to honor, give place to the Holy Spirit, the personal Holy Spirit, every day of my life. It starts affecting how you think, what you plan for, what you'll take risk for. Everything starts being affected by this, this. I'm not challenging you to create a brilliant strategy. I'm encouraging you to fall in love with the one in such a way that in 10 years, you'll have to deconstruct to find out how you got there. You'll have to back up and walk through the journey to say, oh, that's what we did right. Oh, at this point, it was critical we made this decision. So let me pray. Father, Thanks for friends. Thanks for the yes of every person in this room. Thank you for for the great work you're doing in this church, the great work you're doing in South Africa, the great work you're doing in Africa itself. We just give you praise. And I'm asking, Father, that you would deposit a wisdom that, that 
works with these cornerstones of thought where we would actually shift atmospheres over churches, families, but also businesses and cities where people would find themselves aching for you and they never once thought of you before. Just that shift would take place. God, I, I ask for this, that you would be exalted in the great work of this nation. And I pray this for the honor of the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let me ask one question here before I turn it over to Pastor. There's always a chance when there's this many people in the room that there could be someone here that doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. You don't know what it is to be, the Bible calls it born again. That's where you change from the inside out. You don't know what it is to be adopted into his family where you're a son, a daughter of God himself. And yet that's what's before us today. And if there's anyone that would be in that position and say, Bill, I, I don't want to leave the building until I know I have found peace with God, until I know that I have been forgiven and I can walk fully as a disciple of Jesus. If there's anybody in that condition, just put a hand up right where you are. And I, just, I, I, I don't want to embarrass anyone, but I also don't want to miss the opportunity to say, you know what? There's life, there's death. Choose. And here's your opportunity right now. If there's anybody that would just say, I don't want to leave. I, I felt kind of a check when I, before I was ending the, the meeting. So is, I'm sorry, is there a hand up way, way over here? Oh, wonderful. Yes, yeah, I see that. Beautiful. It's wonderful. It's great news. Most important thing that could happen all day is another one way back over here. Wonderful. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yeah. 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 Yes, Lord. I'm going to, Pastor, I'm going to let you take care of this because you'll have people that can talk and pray with them, all right? So those that raise their hands, if you're around them, just lay hands on them and just begin to pray for them. And then I'm going to have Pastor lead in, a, in prayer and in connection with these people, all right? Thank you for being amazing. Bless you.